0: Hi there, Louise Schofield here, co-founder at Precure with Professor Grant Schofield, who's lead instructor on PK 103, exercise, physical activity and health, the science and practice. This time talking about exercise physiology 101 in the context of PK 103, physical activity, exercise and fitness, the science and practice. So when we say exercise physiology, what are we actually talking about?
1: Well, I just sort of felt that... If you're going to want to talk to people about being fit, about exercising, about physical activity, then to actually get properly fit, then you're going to have to know something about how the body works Uh, and the specialities around the human condition, um, our potency to be good at endurance activities is is one of our human things and also just the the training zones and understanding what heart rate means, what the different efforts are and the fuel uses and all that sort of thing, are actually much more interesting than you would think.
0: Right, well let's get into it, let's start with the brain.
1: So in many ways the human brain size defines everything that we are about humans, obviously we're smart, we've got a big brain, 100 billion neurons and our intelligence is, well it's a bit self-centred as a species isn't it, but our intelligence is pretty high. Compared to other animals, but it's really the size of our brain and the energy requirements for a brain that size that make quite a big difference to us. So, really, the theory is that humans came out and evolved out of this Africa that was drying out, so the jungles were disappearing and these wide open grasslands with herds of animals on them were appearing. <laughs> if you've got a big brain, then you're going to need a lot of energy. So, brains are very energetic. They have a massive blood supply and they consume a lot of energy. The bigger your brain compared to your body size, the more energy you need. So we need about a quarter of our energy to run something that's about 2% of our body weight. A gram of working brain is going through about 16 times more energy than a gram of working muscle. And the theory is really that there's just not enough calories available if you're eating fruits and vegetables and small animals, like chimpanzees do, in a jungle environment they could only maintain a brain mass of about 400 cubic centimetres. So, if you're going to maintain a brain of our size, you're going to have to go after and catch large animals roaming around. And to do that, the evidence is, what humans did, is operate in small packs and engage in a practice called persistence hunting. We broke off a single animal from that pack and we ran it until it was exhausted from the heat that it was on. Our advantage was that we could operate in these small groups, we're quite organised, and we could sweat through a mainly hairless skin which cooled us down in the hot african sun these animals couldn't do that because they were furry animals and they could cool down through their tongue and that was our advantage so we've got this legacy of endurance running and there's only a couple of other animals that could do any sort of endurance activities horses
0: sure yeah
1: uh, and dogs but dogs are hopeless at cooling down and they can only endurance run under cool conditions
0: Right. And this is actually how the brain developed. I, I remember reading the work of Dr. John Medina, and he, he always talked about brain developed in an outdoor, unstable environment in more or less constant motion. And I thought that was always really interesting when you try to think creatively or work hard. Often you're in an indoor, very stable environment. So is that that's a similar legacy, isn't it?
1: Well, there's just a mismatch between, as Daniel Leibman would say, between our current environment, which is indoors, Stable, sedentary, and that's a very recent phenomenon as far as humans are concerned. So there's there's a mismatch between that and what we have done, and there's consequences for that. We're we're less physical, we're less we're unfit. Uh, we're fatter, and, yeah, we fatter. Um, and, and actually, just in that sort of evolutionary time scale, if you were to put the whole of human history into the context of just one year, then for really up until the day before New Year's, that we were we were uh, hunter-gatherers. In the last day we turned into farmers and in the last couple of hours we had the, the, the last minutes and hours we had the agricultural industrial revolution and then the digital revolution. So how we live now in this digital age just resembles nothing to do with what humans have done for the entire time they've been on the planet.
0: And you would have to think that the rise of chronic disease, the big four we call it, is closely related to that.
1: Yeah, humans humans have moved, um, yeah. totally moved, and to f- understand it in that context, especially if the endurance running, uh, especially in that this wasn't they might have we needed physical strength. If you go and dig up the bones of of hunter gatherers or look at modern hunter gatherers, these are strong people. They are physically strong. They resemble our best Olympic athletes. That's the human condition.
0: Right. Quickly tell me about lifespan, though. Wasn't lifespan shorter?
1: Yeah, well, that's an interesting idea. So. What you see is that this idea that hunter-gatherers had these nasty, brutish, short lives, and in fact actually their median life expectancy was about 35, so that's short lives, sounds like short lives, but in fact a third of kids didn't make it to adulthood, a right. quarter of kids didn't make it's it through scared. childbirth, yeah. so it's skewed. If you made it to 20, even it seems to be going on to your, to your early 70s, and, and that was that. No trace of chronic disease, no right. such thing as mental illness, heart disease, diabetes, cancer. Stroke. Right. That didn't exist. What's interesting, though, is when we started farming, human life expectancy halved to about 20, uh, or just under, um, because we started getting communicable diseases so we can catch stuff off each other. Right. And more recently, obviously, human lifespan's gone way back up, but our health span has not gone with that. So we suffer this disability through chronic disease before we die, so that's, that's the issue.
0: Right. So the goal is really to establish hunter-gatherer fitness, but in the 21st century.
1: Well, yeah, that seems to attract a lot of attention when you start talking about sort of paleo-type things, which has really turned into a brand for some people. If you were trying to mimic human health and longevity, then you would try and recreate, at least in the modern sense, some of the environments that we're involved with, which is a large amount of aerobic, easy activity, interaction with small groups of people, some sprinting now and again, some strength work, functional strength, and that would be outdoors. We're an outdoor creature.
0: Right, makes sense. Makes sense to me. So let's get into a little bit more of the physiology now in terms of energy systems. So what, what do we mean by energy systems?
1: Oh, well, this energy systems is something to I think people do need to know about if they're engaging in prescribing exercise or thinking about their own training, is that as you move from sitting down to moving around to moving around with some purpose to going solidly and then losing your breath to hardly being able to say a word other than get out of my way uh, through to full sprinting, then the physiological demands, the duration that you can go for and how you'd monitor that changes markedly. I'm, and so we talk about those as exercise training zones. I'm a really big fan of using uh, heart rate monitoring to understand that in the first sense. It doesn't mean you have to use it all the time, but uh, technology has changed so much that these watches like these garments, which we're both wearing now, can just monitor heart rate off your wrist and you can see resting heart rate and you can see when you're exercising the sorts of places that you'd like to be. And so those exercise training zones are crucial for that. And so we talk about zones one and two, which are these recovery and endurance zones and we talk about an aerobic threshold there. So this is a sort of easy aerobic activity, the type that humans have done lots of. You can do it for several hours, you can go for an all day tramp. Uh, If you're fit enough, you could go for a long run or a long bike ride, swim, or just moving around a lot doing gardening, those sorts of things are going to be in that zone. And that's generally about 180 minus your age, heart rate. For me it's about 140. Uh, and then you start to move up that into the point, so you can easily carry out conversations there. Then you get to the point where actually the maximum you could do it for is about an hour. That's anaerobic threshold. That you, you can now gasp out words like yes, no, get out of my way. "sure," And that's quite hard and starts to cause quite a bit of damage and above that there's these VO2 max and short high intensity intervals you could do 30 seconds maybe a couple of minutes of these things but you've got no more in you than that and uh, it's just good to know those they're they're useful for people to know when they're learning about exercise and the benefits and for the most part it helps you go hard enough when you need to go hard and easy enough when you need to go easy.
0: Right makes sense and so just for a minute tell me about resting heart rate and and What does that mean in terms of your fitness level? So the heart rate when you first wake up in the morning, for example?
1: Yeah, generally the the lower that is, the fitter you will be. In fact, you can use resting heart rate to track your fitness, and I do that. And these watches capture that with you. uh, Mine at the moment is about 44 in the morning. When I was a better athlete, it was down closer to 40. This guy, Dr. Dan Pluse, I know who just won the triathlon world championship and set a world record, his resting heart rate was tracking down, down, down as he approached that world championship race. Uh, The day before it was 33, which is astonishing. Wow. Yeah, (laughs) I think most people will find themselves closer to 60 or 70. But I think aerobically fit humans, it would be interesting to know what our hunter-gatherers resting heart rates were if we could even... Yeah,
0: it certainly would be. So what do you mean when we talk about metabolically efficient or metabolically flexible? What does that mean?
1: Oh, It's also just worth understanding that as you travel through those training zones you've got an appropriate diet, then the body profoundly changes the fuels that it uses. So what you should be seeing is when you're sleeping, when you're resting, when you're walking around slightly during the day, when you're doing gentle exercise, the main fuel is fat and the crucial part of that is that fat burns very cleanly, creates very little metabolic damage, and so that's why you can get you can do it for a long time without causing damage to the body.
0: And, and we talk about damage being caused by inflammation.
1: Inflammation, because when the uh, fuel burns, it creates oxidative stress. And carbohydrate, glucose, when it burns in the body, is metabolically stressful. It creates these these oxidative stress and therefore inflammation. And and this is the point: you do actually want some inflammation sometimes. Because that inflammation is something you can recover from, but it's only in small amounts. If you've got chronic inflammation from just not burning those fuels and just going too hard, um, or other reasons, that's that's the problem. So inflammation in short bursts is crucial because you adapt to it and build a stronger body. Sure. Inflammation in chronic terms, when it's always high, is, is an issue.
0: Exactly the same as stress, really, isn't it? Well, yeah. str- yes. Yeah, well, exercise strict, ex- is ex- exercise is stress. Yes. Okay.